All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline, or use our Central Church app. Um, Matthew 16 is where we're going to start today. Um, this is week number three of our series called Flawed. And in this series, we're looking at life lessons um, from the life of Peter. We're, we're basically looking at where Peter screwed up and realizing we're not really as screwed up as where we thought we are. Because Peter was a flawed individual. And, and Jesus used him in amazing ways. He, he was one of the people Jesus used to literally change the world. Despite all of his flaws, Jesus used him. And that should give us encouragement because we're messed up too. And, and if Jesus changed Peter and used Peter, that's proof and that's acknowledgement that he's going to change us and he's going to use us too. The thing that, that blows my mind about Peter is, is Peter... Peter walked so close to Jesus. Like, Peter walked closer to Jesus than any of us will ever walk. I mean, he was one of Jesus' right-hand men. I mean, he was right there with Jesus. And he saw Jesus do some amazing things. He was a part of some awesome stuff. But constantly, after seeing those things and being a part of those things and hearing those things, Peter would essentially just turn around and do something stupid. And you look at that, and you're like, Peter, the heck are you thinking, man? Like you're you're with the Messiah. You're with Jesus. He's doing all of these great things. You turn around and you fall flat on your face. But don't we do the same things? Like, doesn't that what happens to us? Like we can have some incredible spiritual moments, whether it's in this place, whether it's outside of this place, and we can feel like we're definitely in the presence of God, and, and then we step away, and all of a sudden we're doing something so stupid that we look at ourselves and we're like, what the heck's wrong with you? Let me give you an example. A few weeks ago, um, a little bit longer than a few weeks ago, I guess, I was in a, at a conference in Florida. I was at a theology conference, and um, I had a rental car that didn't have satellite radio and so i had to listen to regular radio i know first world problems but that's what i got to deal with anyway i'm, I'm riding down the road and and i'm listening to the radio and i got caught up in a song this wasn't a christian station um but i got caught up in, in a song you ever got caught up in a song you ever done that? You just get caught up in a song, and, and you just get all emotional over the song, and you're sitting at a red light, just kind of like ugly crying, and people sitting next to you are looking at you like, what the heck's wrong with you, freak? That ever happened to anybody? I'm, I'm the only one? All right, everyone's shaking their head. No, all right. So there's this song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. Um, he's a Christian artist, but this was not a Christian radio station. There's a song called Cinderella, and man, that song. And Butterfly Kisses. Those two songs are going to be songs that are on repeat in hell. Like, I mean, those songs, man, those two songs tear me apart. And they're, and they're one of those things where it's like, when they come on, I know that I should just hit scan or flip the radio. But I just can't do it. It's like almost the, the beginning words of those songs just captivate me. And, and this was one of those moments where I'm listening to this song and it got to the part where the girl's like later on in life and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm just like, it's tearing me up and I'm thinking about Chloe and I'm, I'm just like, I, I got to the point where it became like a, like a worship moment. Like, and I just can't explain it, but, but literally for like five seconds, I felt like I was literally in the presence of God. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like God is just in the car with you? Like you're just in the presence? Of, like I felt like Jesus was sitting in the seat right next to me. And I'm thanking him for my family. And I'm thanking him for Jaira. And I'm thanking him for Chloe. It was a very real moment. I was a red light. 
ugly crying, bawling, snot bubbles coming out of my nose. Like just lose. I didn't care if anybody seen me. I was in Florida. Don't nobody know me there. It was awesome until I felt something. I was wearing shorts. This is honestly got a true story. I'm wearing shorts, and I felt something right here on my knee. And I looked down, and there was a spider the size of a raccoon on my knee. And I went, I went from being in the presence of God to being in the presence of Satan in about two seconds. Like two seconds later, man, the words that were coming out of my mouth were so glorifying and so edifying and so pure. And I'm lifting up Jesus and I'm praising his name. But I'm telling you, when I saw that spider, Holy Spirit left the car. Like he wasn't there no more because the words that were coming out of my mouth, most of them ain't even in the Bible. So I know you had never heard a preacher tell that story, stories like that before, but I'm that guy. I was on a spiritual high. And I went to a spiritual low in about two seconds. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand and ask, have you ever been in that situation? Because I know everybody that would be honest, you've had that moment. You've had that day. You've had that hour. You've had that time. And, and maybe, maybe it happens gradually, but you've been on a, a spiritual high, and then you, you get maybe throughout the day to a spiritual low. And we're told in the church, like, if you do that, you're not a Christian. Because Christians should always be up. We should always be excited. We should always be happy. We should always have joy. And we shouldn't experience any lows at all. In fact, one of the greatest lies told in the church world is that when you become a Christian, your spiritual growth is supposed to look like this. Like, that's, that's it. Nice and simple. And you ride along. It's smooth sailing. Eventually, you get to the checkered flag, and Jesus is standing there saying, yeah, you finished the race. Well done, good and faithful servant. We're told this is what it's supposed to look like. I've, I've heard people say, every day with Jesus is just sweeter and sweeter. You ever heard that? Every day with Jesus gets sweeter and sweeter. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Like, ask Paul. You ever think about this? The Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote a big part of the New Testament, his life before he met Jesus, man, it was awesome. He meets Jesus, later on gets his head chopped off. Hey, Paul, every day with Jesus just gets sweeter and sweeter, buddy. Uh-uh. I'm about to lose my head. And so we're told this is what spiritual growth is supposed to look like. Anything less than this, and we're a failure. If it's less than this, it's because we're flawed. Because we shouldn't, as Christians, experience lows. But let me show you what spiritual growth actually looks like if you're going to follow Jesus. It doesn't look like that. It looks like this right here. That's God's plan, right? You're kind of going up and then you go down into a little valley, but you get up again, and there's, there's some little bumps. You go across the bridge, but then boom, all of a sudden, your head's underwater, and you can't seem to get up. And then you get up, and you're like, shoo! But then there's a storm, and another storm, and another storm, and then another valley. And so, like, that's what God's plan for our lives and our spiritual journey looks like. And there are many people in this room that if you were to describe the spiritual trajectory that your life is on, you wouldn't use the first picture. You would use this. But unfortunately, in the church world, we've told people, if this is what your spiritual growth looks like, you're not following Jesus correctly. You're not doing the right things. You're not dotting your I's and crossing your T's. Because we're told 
People who follow Jesus don't have any problems. We're told people who follow Jesus don't experience any valleys and don't go through any storms and don't experience any failures. And we're told that this right here will actually disqualify us from God's blessings, from God's love, from God's protection, when in actuality, from everything I've seen in scriptures and every person who I know who walks with Jesus, this is what our life looks like. Amen? So again, I don't like sitting in this. Again, in this series, we've been, we've been looking at the life of Peter, and we've been looking at life lessons in Peter. And if there's anybody whose life in the Bible looked like this after they started following Jesus, it's Peter. Peter's the guy who's always getting it right or really getting it wrong. Because when Peter got it wrong, dude, he really got it wrong. And we're going to look at one of those times today. We're going to look at a time where Peter experienced a spiritual high and a spiritual low in the framework of about two minutes. Now, if you've been around here before, you, 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 this, this beginning of this passage is going to sound familiar. I've preached on this before. This is one of my favorite passages to preach on. Um, I haven't really preached the entirety of the whole passage very much, but I love the beginning of it. So this, the beginning might sound familiar. Here we go. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Now, l- let me explain Caesarea Philippi to you. Um, there, there are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, they're the life stories of Jesus. Each one is written to a different audience. Matthew is written primarily for a Jewish audience. That's why it starts out with the genealogy, to set that up. So-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so. And so when a Jewish person in Matthew's time period would have seen the phrase Caesarea Philippi, they'd have been like, <gasps> no. No way, because while they didn't necessarily believe Jesus was the Messiah, they they would agree that he was a rabbi, that he was a good person, that he was a good teacher, and good people didn't go to Caesarea Philippi, so there's no way that Jesus would go there. Caesarea Philippi was a bad place. Caesarea Philippi was a messy place full of messy people, and this is another message for another time, but this is just a reminder that Jesus isn't afraid of your mess. He, he didn't go away from Caesarea Philippi. He went to it. That's what Jesus does, right? He, he, he doesn't walk away from the mess. He walked towards the mess. And, and we should do the same. We, again, another message for another time. But just let that sit for a while. He goes on to say this. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? In other words, hey guys, what are people saying about me? You, you're out, you're about, you hear things. What are people saying about me? Now, here's what I know about Jesus after following him for about 25 years. You know Jesus is working in your life when he starts asking you questions. Like, that's how you know he's working. He starts asking you things like, hey, you sure you want to keep doing that? Hey, man, you, you, you sure you want to answer that phone? You sure you want to pick up? You sure you want to answer that person? Hey, Ryan, you sure you want to go there? Like, that's how he works. He starts asking questions. And so Jesus is asking a general questionnaire. Hey, guys, what are people saying about me? Now, I want you to notice what they tell him because we do the exact same thing. Watch this. Verse 14 starts out like this. Well, and I told you before, well is a filler word. <laughs> well is what you say when you don't know what to say. Hey, how's my hair look? Well. Hey, what do you think about my shirt? Well. Probably not what I would have chose, but, right? Like, that's what that word is for. It's a filler word. And so, well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, 
Some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Now, don't miss this because this is huge. They only told Jesus the good things. They only told Jesus the good things people were saying about him. They didn't tell him everything because people had said some bad things about him. There are some places where people called Jesus a false teacher. There is a place where they called him a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of sinners. In John chapter 8, they called him a demon-possessed Samaritan. So they didn't tell him everything. They didn't tell him the bad things. But before we criticize the disciples, don't we do the same thing? Don't we just show up and just tell Jesus the good things sometimes and we leave out the bad? Not knowing that Jesus or not remembering that Jesus is like, hey, I want everything. I want you to submit everything. Give me everything. I can use the good and the bad. And I've told you before, Jesus wants us to be real. His desire is for us to be real with him, not to show up and be fake. We're not supposed to be pretend people. Jesus knows everything anyway, so let's lay out our hearts. Let's be real. The disciples right here, they're not being real with him. But in this instance, Jesus just kind of skips over it. Because another thing I've discovered about following Jesus is he'll ask some general questions to get to the specific question he really wants to get to. Because then he says this, then he asks them, but who do you say that I am? Which is the most important question on the planet. There is not a more important question than you and I will ever be asked than who do you say Jesus is? And we better get it right on this side of eternity. Because on the other side of eternity, we'll know who Jesus is, but we don't get a chance to answer on that other side. You've got to get that right here. There is not a more important question you will face in life. Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say he is? Who do you say that he is? You gotta get that right. You gotta have the answer to that question. You gotta have it. Because then this is where it gets nuts. (laughs) Simon Peter answered. Now, this should scare you. It it just should. Because Simon Peter, he either really got it right or he really got it wrong. And, And by the way, what I find fascinating here in this is he's the only one who spoke up. He's the only one who said anything. There's always one person who will always, you know the annoying kid in class? You know who I'm talking about? There's always one kid who knows the answer to every question. Everybody else sitting here, like, please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. And the little Johnny over there, I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. And Jesus is like, oh, man. Anybody else? Matthew, you got something? Thomas. Thomas. Sure, surely you're doubting what's going on right now, man. Okay. You, got, you got anything? Judas? Anything? All right, Peter. What you got? And Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah, the son of, that's who we say you are, Jesus. That's who I say you are. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. That's a huge statement. The statement is loaded because when he said this, he's saying you are everything that we as a nation of Israel have been waiting for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Peter got it right. In fact, he got it so right that Jesus didn't even give him credit for it. Watch this. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. In other words, Peter, you're not smart enough to come up with this on your own. God whispered in your ear and helped you cheat on the test. My Father in heaven revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. That's God's direct revelation. This is why you can't say, well, I found Jesus. No, you didn't. God revealed him to you. Now notice, I want you to notice three things that Jesus said to Peter. First thing that Jesus said to Peter 
is that Peter, you literally just heard from God. How awesome is it when you and I hear the voice of God speaking into our lives? Like, how, how awesome is that when you know that God told you something? Isn't it incredible when God speaks to you? Now, let me be very clear with you. I have never heard an outward, audible voice. Like, the clouds have never parted, like when Jesus was baptized, and, and I've never, like, God didn't say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, and other people, like, heard. Like, I, I, haven't, I haven't heard that. Some of you have, and that's awesome. I think God knows that would scare me, like, really bad. I scare easy. That's why I love scaring other people. Um, but, but God's never spoke to me in an audible voice. However, I remember where I was when I heard God call me into ministry. I remember hearing him tell me a few years ago, hey, Ryan, I'm not done with you yet. Both of those things were very, very, very loud in my head. But if you were standing next to me, you wouldn't have heard it. Does that make sense? So it's incredible when God begins to speak to you and deal with your heart and begins to speak in your mind and lead us step by step. There are people in this room, you know for a fact that God has spoken to you. He's spoken to you outside of these walls. He's spoken to you here in a worship service. You know God has spoken to you. You've been obedient to what he has spoken to you. And your life has changed for the better because of what God spoke to you. And you listened. God speaks to us. Jesus told Peter, Pete, hey man, God just spoke to you. Second thing that he tells Peter is this. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. This is the second time he he tells him this. John 1, he tells him the same thing. You're Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. In other words, he says this. Peter, not only did God speak to you, but I'm going to use you. On the statement that you just made, that I'm the Messiah, on that statement, I'm going to build an entire movement called the church. On that statement. And Peter, I'm going to use you to kick it off. If you're in this room and you've ever been used by God, you know. It's powerful. It's significant when you've been used by God. It's awesome. I remember the first time I ever knew that God used me. Um, I was asked to speak at, to a youth group at a church that I attended. And they asked me to come up, and I was terrified. Like, to this day, I know you don't believe this about me, but I am terrified of public speaking. I just, I just am. People are like, well, you're just so natural at it. It's because I practice it, um, and, and while I roll into it, I get better. But I just am. It's just, that's, just not, that's just not natural for me. And so I get up there, I don't know what to say, I just start sharing my testimony. I'm just like, this is how Jesus changed me. I was drinking, I was doing drugs, uh, uh, and Jesus came into my life, and now I'm doing this, and it was, it was amazing. I gave an invitation, and five kids received Jesus. It was awesome. I remember the first sermon I ever preached. It was a small Baptist church. They invited me to preach at their evening service. That's what, that's what they did. They invite people who suck in to do their evening service, like seriously. The sermon was horrible. It maybe lasted five minutes. I know some of you are thinking, I wish you'd get back into that five-minute thing. It was horrible. They gave me 35 minutes. So you go preach for 35 minutes. I'm in a full suit, and about 30 seconds into this message, I realize my zipper is down. I'm standing behind a glass pulpit. Glass pulpit. Everybody can see. 
Everybody knows. I preached everything. I preached on the book of Jude. You can read the book of Jude in three minutes. I preached everything I know from the book of Jude in about five minutes. The other 30 minutes, I don't even know what the heck I was talking about. I was just so worried about covering up my crotch. I'm walking around with the Bible in front of me just saying stuff. Today, man, I just pulled my zipper right up in front of you. Like, I don't even care. But back then, it was crazy. But I remember that night, man. I remember being used by God and thinking, man, I want that to happen for the rest of my life. Jesus, whatever, wherever, just use me. Jesus said to Peter, God's going to use you. And then the third thing that Jesus told Peter is this, verse 19, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Now that's awesome. I'm trying to get keys to a hellcat. Jesus gets keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Now, people have been fighting over what that verse means for over 2,000 years. What does that verse mean exactly? What exactly does that verse mean? Let me tell you exactly what that verse means. You will forbid, I don't know. I don't, like, legit. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I honestly don't know exactly what that means. But... Can we all agree, no matter if we know what it means or not, that that's a blessing? Like, like I don't know what the keys of the kingdom are, the keys of the kingdom loosening and binding and all that other stuff, but that's got to be an incredible blessing, right? Now, we can all agree. You don't have to be a Christian to agree with this. Can we all agree that Peter would have been on a spiritual high after this, yes or no? Yeah, Peter's like, man, <laughs> You other fools, you didn't speak up. And look at me. I got blessed. I heard from God. I got keys to the kingdom. You all just got keys to a camel. I got keys to the kingdom. I feel great. I am awesome. Look at me. I'm sure he's starting to feel so good about himself. He's so excited. But that's where it gets dangerous. It's when we get on that spiritual high. Then we think, man, we're walking with Jesus and nothing's ever going to bring me down. I've I've been past this addiction for so long. I've been past this anxiety for so long. Nothing's going to hurt me. Nothing can get back into my life. And that is a thing in our lives called pride. You know what pride is? Pride is that thing that you can't see in the mirror, but it'll sneak up and bite you in the butt. Because watch what happens. Verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples, everybody say plainly, plainly. Now, that word right there is huge because this this is so cool. Up until this point in the ministry of Jesus, Jesus didn't speak plainly. Jesus told parables. Like every time they would ask a question, they'd be like, hey, Jesus, we got a question for you. Hey, you're talking about keys to the kingdom? What's the kingdom of heaven like? And he'd be like, all right. The kingdom of heaven is, let's say you've got a man and he's got a bag of seed. When he's walking on the good soil, he throws some seed. When he's rock, walking on the rocky soil, he throws some seed. And you're like, what, what the heck? Like, what, what's he talking about? I don't know. Like, what, 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 you know what Jesus is talking about? I have no idea what he's talking about. Hey, man, go ask. I ain't going to go ask him. You ask him. Hey, Jesus, what does this mean? Somebody else can ask him another question. Jesus, hey, what's, what's this like? He'd be like, well, that's like a man building a house on the sand. Like, I don't even care about a house, Jesus. I didn't ask you about a house. Jesus, I want to know about this. Can you just tell me what this is? Jesus, what's this like? Well, there was a papa bear and a mama bear and a baby bear. Like, what are you saying? Just do shut up and just tell me the answer. And so when Jesus starts talking plainly, they're like, whoo, he's never talked plainly before. 
hey, let, let, let's listen. But here's the problem. Jesus starts telling them some things they don't want to hear. And all of us have been in that spot where Jesus begins to tell us things that we don't want to hear. Watch what happens. Tells them that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hand of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed. That's not what you want to hear if you're a follower of Jesus. Like the first part is good. Hey guys, we got to go to Jerusalem. And everybody's like, yeah, because you're the Messiah. You're going to set us free. We're going to go to Jerusalem because we're going to set up the kingdom. We're going to kick out the Romans. We're going to kick out the Egyptians. We're kicking everybody out. Everybody out the pool. That's what we're going to do. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going to kick butt. We're going to take names. Yes! We're going to Jerusalem. Jesus, exactly what we're going to do when we get to Jerusalem. Well, see, here's the deal. I'm going to suffer. And, and, and that. At that point, the disciples are like, all right, man, I'm, I'm out. Because, see, I don't, that's not my plan for my life. I don't have suffering anywhere in my plan. And when Jesus said, I'm going to die, they got worried. And do you know why they got worried? Because they were close to Jesus. If he dies, we die. Is that a problem, yes or no? Yeah. So, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you, but... um. Only to the good places. Like, I don't really want to go to the storm. I don't really want to go into the valley. Um, so I, I, I don't know if I can really follow you. Then he said this, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. And they missed it. We've talked about this a hundred times in this church. They missed the whole last sentence. And I don't blame them. We can't get mad at them because when you've been following somebody for three years and they look at you and say, I'm about to be killed. That's not real exciting kind of shuts the party down. So what do you do? What do you do in a situation like this? What do you do when Jesus begins to speak to you and tell you things you don't want to hear and lead you into places that you don't want to go? Well, I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't do what Peter did. Peter, he's there. Peter's the rock, right? I mean, John chapter 1, he said, you're the rock. Told him that. You're the rock. Just now he told him, hey, you're, you're Peter. You're the rock. Upon that, I'm going to build my church. And you're the rock. Whenever I hear that, I think of Wayne the Rock Johnson. Real wrestling. Anybody else? Anybody else think about that? Wrestling, right? Anyway, watch what Peter does. But Peter, the rock, the rock took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such. Reprimanded Jesus. They're going to reprimand Jesus. All the disciples are worried. All the disciples are worried. I don't want to go there, man. They're going to kill him. Well, Jesus, no, man. What are we going to do? What are we going to say? And Peter's like, hey, man, I got this. It's cool, guys. Don't worry. Did you hear what he just said to me? He just blessed me. He told me God speaks to me. He's going to give me the keys to the kingdom. I got this. I'll go talk to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I'm going to have a talk with you. Jesus, can you smell what the rock is cooking? Probably not, but anyway. If you don't know what that is, go watch YouTube. It's cool. Peter began to reprimand Jesus. And it goes off the rails, man, because Peter said this, heaven forbid, tell it Jesus, heaven forbid. Think about how funny that phrase is. He's from heaven. He's over heaven. He rules heaven. And Peter's like, heaven forbid, Lord, that'll never happen to you. Hey, you're never going to die. The rock's with you, baby. It ain't never going to happen. 
He turns around to the others. He's like, I took care of it. I told him what the rock was cooking. I told him it's not going to happen. See how he responds to me? He blesses me. He uses me. He spoke to me. That's right, Jesus. Give me the keys. Let's go. And watch what Jesus says to him. Jesus just called him the rock. Jesus just said, you're the rock, Peter. Peter, you're the man. You're awesome. And watch this, verse 23. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. Get away from me, Satan. Now listen, I've called some people some names in my life. I don't think I've ever called anybody Satan. Except for this one time there was a girl in college, but that's another message for another time. I don't think I've ever called anybody Satan. How does that happen? How does that You were just told you were the rock by Jesus. You were just told on the statement that you made, I'm going to build a church and I'm going to use you to get there, Peter. Peter, you're the man. And a few verses later, Jesus calls him Satan. Do you think this stung a little bit, yes or no? Yeah. Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap. I'm going to use you to build a church. Uh Uh-uh. Get away. You're a dangerous trap. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now, don't miss this because I think this is I think this is huge. I think this is exciting. A lot of people don't don't talk about this, but I believe right here Jesus wasn't attacking Peter; he was attacking his view, and that's the same thing with you and with me. Jesus isn't attacking you, but he will attack our view sometimes. I'm gonna preach on that in a few weeks. I can't wait to preach on it. It's gonna be awesome. But but right now I want to ask you this question. I want you to think about this. How did Peter feel in this moment? Probably felt pretty bad. Actually, probably felt horrible. Probably felt really beat up. And when you mess up, and and I'm I'm not talking like you had one too many messed up. I'm talking about where you mess up to the point that Jesus calls you Satan. You've officially messed up, yes or no? Yeah. And you would think, based on what you know from Christian culture, that anybody who messes up that bad, well, they should be disqualified. Anybody who's that flawed, I mean, there's no way that God will ever use them. So they should just be kicked out, pushed to the curb. Get out of the church. Get away from us. We don't need you. And right now, I'm talking to people in this room. You feel like at some point in your life and your spiritual journey that you messed up so bad that you feel like that God could never bring anything good out of the bad you did. But I want to let you know, I'm so glad that we serve a God who's into forgiveness rather than fault finding. Aren't you? I'm so glad that we have a God who's into restoration and not retribution. I'm glad we have a God that's into celebration and not condemnation, right? Because if you think about the parable that Jesus told about the prodigal son, when the prodigal son came home, the father threw a party. He didn't throw a fit. So what happened to Peter? What do you think happened to Peter? What do you think is going to happen? Somebody does something like this. I mean, he just messed up so badly. That Jesus called him Satan, like his, his, his mortal enemy. How long do you think he's going to be out of the game? A year? Five years? Ten years? Twenty years? Does it put him out of the game permanently? I mean, if you mess up so bad that Jesus calls you Satan, are you disqualified? Well, let's see. The very next event that happens, Matthew 17 says this, six days later, less than a week, right? Less than a week. Six days later, Jesus took Peter and two brothers, James and John, and led them up a, up a high mountain to be alone. Now, if you're a religious person, this is where you get excited because you're like, yeah, woo, 
Peter going to get it. Jesus had a thing for six days. How am I going to punish Peter? How am I going to discipline Peter? Oh, I know. I'm going to take Peter up to the top of the mountain. I'm going to let Peter know that he missed it so bad, that he screwed up so bad. I'm going to put Peter in his place, and I'm going to take James, and I'm going to take John so they can see how bad somebody messed up, what happened to somebody when they messed up. They're going to see it. They can go back and tell everybody, I'm about to blow Peter up. Jesus takes him up a mountain. And if you're Peter, let me ask you this question. Are you a little scared? Like, honestly, are you scared? I mean, think about it. The last interaction that you had with Jesus, he looked at you and he called you Satan. Then he comes to you and says, hey, Pete, we're going to go to the top of the mountain. Uh, I'm good right here, man. I like the valley. I'm all right. Last time I was with you, you called me Satan, man. I just don't know. You hurt my feelings. Jesus is like, no. Come on, let's go up to the mountain. And I imagine Peter walking up that mountain, and I imagine he's terrified. He's shaking because he has no idea what's about to happen. Watch what happens. Verse 2. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. This, this event is known as the transfiguration, where they saw Jesus in his heavenly glory. Only three people got to see him like this. James... John and Peter. And, and, and don't miss us, because I love this. This is the point of the entire message. Peter didn't get to see Jesus in his heavenly glory after he got it right. But he saw Jesus in his heavenly glory after he got it wrong. I mean, it would have made sense if, if Jesus would have appeared to him like this after he said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus would have been like, you are right. You are awesome. Woo! I'm not sure that's what it looked like on the mountain or that's the noise that was made or anything. But Jesus went ahead. Don't miss this. Jesus went ahead and let Peter mess up to the point where he called him Satan. And, and Peter knew that he had messed up so bad that the only way anything good could come out of what he had done is because of the grace of God. Again, don't miss the fact that Peter didn't see Jesus in his glory after he got it right. He saw him that way after he got it wrong. If you want to think about what that really is, that is amazing grace. And so if you're here today and you feel like at some point in your spiritual journey, you've gotten it so wrong. If you feel like you've messed up and there's nothing good that could come out of the situation, I want you to know that's exactly where Jesus will meet you. Because that's the place where we acknowledge we need him the most. See, when I'm on the mountaintop... I got my hand raised, and I'm saying Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus is calling me the rock. I feel pretty good about myself. But when I mess up to the point where I say something and Jesus calls me Satan, I'm at rock bottom. And if you're at rock bottom today, I want you to know that's where his amazing grace will meet you. We face highs. We face lows. We get it right. We get it wrong. And when we get it wrong, if we let him... He will make us right again, just like he did with Peter. Let's pray. Father, right now, I I want us to be able to celebrate your amazing grace. Celebrate what you're doing. Celebrate what you've done. God, thank you for your grace in our lives. God, I want to pray for every single person in this place right now that feels like they're in a valley, feels like they're in a storm. God, it feels like they're at rock bottom. God, for people who feel like they've just messed up way too much, Jesus, may we take encouragement 
through the life of Peter, knowing that, that if you restored Peter, that you'll restore us. When you use Peter, you, you'll use us. That God, you, you accept us the way that we are in spite of our flaws. Right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you walked in here today and you feel like you're in a storm or you feel like you're in a valley, you feel like you're at rock bottom and you just need God's amazing grace to pick you back up, why don't you just tell him that right now? God, I need you to pick me back up. Jesus, pick me back up. Jesus, I need you to help me. Jesus, I want to hear from you today. Jesus, speak into my life today. Jesus, allow me to hear your voice today. Jesus, use me. Maybe you're here today and you've never prayed to receive Jesus into your life. You've never had a moment of clarity where you recognize that Jesus Christ is the Savior and you're a sinner in need of saving. And maybe today you understand that. Maybe today you understand that Jesus Christ came to this earth he was God in the form of man he lived a perfect life he went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin the Bible said without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sin and so Jesus Christ himself shed his blood to pay for our sin and maybe today you realize hey he did that for me if that's you and you want to accept, if you want to receive the free gift of salvation that Jesus Christ offers to you, and right where you are, you can just you can just pray. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need forgiveness. So not right now, I ask you to come into my life and save me. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose from the grave. I believe you did that to pay for my sin. And so today I ask you to come into my life, to be my Lord, to be my God, to be my King, to be my Savior. All of me for all of you. Today I surrender. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for saving me. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know. During this song, we'll have people in the back corners of the sanctuary who want to celebrate that with you because you, you've literally just crossed from death into life, and we want to celebrate that. So please come back and let us know so we can help you in your next steps. For the rest of you, if you need prayer for anything, that, that's why we're here. It's why we do church. It's to, it's to walk together, understanding we can't do life alone. And so if there's anything going on in your life, if you feel like you're in that valley, if you feel like you hit rock bottom, if you feel like, man, I, I just, I just want to hear the voice of God, I'm just having a hard time hearing it and following it, then let us pray with you. Let us pray for you. Let us help you. Heck, come back there and help us. <laughs> but use this time, use this opportunity. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace to us as a church, and thank you for your grace to us as individuals. You're so good. You're so loving. And may we walk out of this place, Jesus, knowing that none of us have fallen beyond the place of your amazing grace. Even though we fall down, we don't have to stay down. We get back up because of who you are and what you've spoken in our lives. I ask, Jesus, that you move in ways only you can. The power of your Holy Spirit, in your name, Jesus. Amen.
and you want